Hi there. I want to talk to you about Duck. Dude, you're okay. This one, real fucking up. Okay, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Hey, Walter, come on. Oh, you're from the neighborhood. You're right. Hello and welcome to the Cult Film Companion Podcast, the home of movies that are off, under, and ahead of the cinematic radar. Today, we're tackling a classic horror movie for the season of Spook, known as October. We are going to be dissecting the third entry in the Halloween series, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. This movie marks the directorial debut of Tommy Lee Wallace, who previously worked on the original Halloween with John Carpenter as the production designer and the editor. The movie was produced by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. The cinematography was done by Dean Cundy. It was edited by Millie Moore. The music was done by John Carpenter and Alan Holworth. Although full screenwriting credit is given to Tommy Lee Wallace, it is uh, worth noting that Nigel Neal, the British sci-fi author known for his Quartermass series, did the original screenplay for Halloween 3. Once it became a little too violent for his liking, he had his name removed. John Carpenter also did a rewrite of the, the screenplay, and then the third pass was done by Tommy Lee Wallace himself. This movie marks a departure from the Halloween series in that it doesn't focus on the slasher villain Michael Myers. John Carpenter and Deborah Hill had the idea of making Halloween an anthology series in which each movie would be based around Halloween, but would concern its own characters, have its own plot, and not have any other connections to the previous movies. This would be the downfall initially for Halloween 3 Season of the Witch because it was pretty much universally despised. Instead of uh, having Michael Myers as being a voiceless, faceless slasher villain stalking babysitters, this movie is much more reminiscent of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's a satire of uh, modern consumer consumerism, big businesses taking over smaller businesses, and it's basically, um, Deborah Hill had the idea of having a movie about witchcraft, but also utilizing the rise of computer technology. So this movie is basically about an evil toy-making corporation that, because the, the planets are in alignment, it is time for a mass human sacrifice that is uh, devised with the help of Stonehenge to create three Halloween masks that will basically kill all the kids that are wearing said masks on Halloween night. The movie stars Tom Atkins as Dr. Dan Chalice. Stacy Nelkins portrays Ellie Grimbridge, the daughter of a local uh, small business owner that discovers the evil plot of the Silver Shamrock Novelties Corporation, and Dan O'Herlihy as Connell Cochran, the owner of Silver Shamrock Novelties, and also 
basically the owner of this small town where all these masks are being produced. Like I said, this movie is a huge departure in the Halloween series, and a lot of people make the argument that if it wasn't entitled Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, it probably would have gotten a better reception. That's something that's debatable. I don't think the Halloween part is the issue. I think it's the three. And we can get into that because it's not a continuation of the Michael Myers story, nor is it the third installment of the Silver Shamrock Corporation. So it's kind of, it's a very misleading title and I could see why audiences at the time didn't really like it or were disappointed. Anyway, this movie has undergone a critical and popularity reevaluation over the years and is since cited as by some people as one of the better entries in the Halloween series, I would I would make that argument that it certainly is uh, leagues above some of the uh, other entries in this, this franchise. We're not going to talk too much about the rest of the Halloween franchise. We're just going to focus on Season of the Witch. What a brilliant little standalone movie is if you can get over the fact that it's not a Michael Myers slasher. So I'm going to open it up now to my two co-hosts, Andrew and Kyle. How are you gentlemen doing this evening? Doing, I'm pretty good. Um, you know, I really love this movie. Um, I actually, uh, this actually goes back to some of the other movies I had watched growing up. Um, you know, I actually did hate this movie. You know, as a kid, I never, of course, because for many other reasons, you know, other people um, actually, um, you know, I got caught up in that weird situation where it's like a, a Halloween, you know, in this movie gets a, like uh, a lot of people confused. I always, I always used to mistake them. Um, but, you know, as I got older, uh, I ended up considering it like it's, it's its own, you know, its own little thing. And um, uh, I love this movie. I think this movie has uh, a lot of, um, uh, you know, uh, good jump scares, good sound design. I mean, um, as far as the lighting, you know, right, right off the bat, it, it does have a, a feeling of Halloween, like, um, you know, the movie, like, as far as, like, the shadows and everything, it's, um, it's a really good John Carpenter movie, um, and, and it also has a lot of similarities to, uh, Christine, um, from the sound of, you know, um, uh, you know, stuff like that, lots of similarities, um, in this movie. Andrew? Yeah, yeah, there's, there's, um, this, this movie really struck me, uh, profoundly. Um, I hadn't, I don't know when the last time was that I saw it. I feel like I've seen it not too long ago, like a few years ago. <laughs> Excuse me, but it didn't, it didn't have the impact on me. It never has had the impact on me that it did, uh, upon the viewing that I just had, uh, which was this morning, actually. So I watched it this morning. It was it was rainy and cloudy outside, so it was perfect fall weather for a movie like this. Uh, we can get into it, but there's I was all the way from the beginning to the end. I was pretty much wrapped up in this movie. Uh, it, the we can get into it more. Those are my initial thoughts. So. Yes, from the very start, this it feels like a Halloween movie. A lot of the production crew that worked on the first two Halloween movies, especially a lot of the crew came over from Halloween 2. 
to work on this movie. Tommy Lee Wallace did not have any involvement in Halloween 2. Um, he wasn't really interested in pursuing a, a movie, another movie about Michael Myers, and neither was John Carpenter, and neither was Deborah Hill. And they they came to, to Wallace and basically said, well, we want to we pursue the anthology idea. They had the little nugget of a, of a thought Deborah Hill did about incorporating witchcraft with the rise of computer technology. Nigel Neal wrote basically what Tommy Lee Wallace has described as about 60% of the final product was the script done by Nigel Neal, the rest of which was uh, done by with rewrites by John Carpenter and Tommy Lee Wallace. But from the very opening, the first Halloween opens with a, a jack-o'-lantern and uh, it's a slow zoom into a jack-o'-lantern. In this movie, we're given... Um, a very 80s computer digital art of, of a jack-o'-lantern. And, of course, the music is done by John Carpenter and Alan How Howarth. Alan who? Howarth? H-O- Howarth. Yes, um, he, he's, he's worked with John Carpenter before. And the cinematography was done by Dean Cundy, who's filmed many of the early Carpenter classics. So... Yes, from the it it feels very much like a Halloween movie because it's oh yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say because it's a lot of the same people that are in were involved in the um previous installments. Perhaps on perhaps in the way that it was filmed in, in a lot of the scenes that are filmed at night uh, with deserted streets, uh, that I mean definitely reminiscent of. The, you know, how, even Halloween too, because those hospital hallways are empty through the whole thing. I mean, desertion is like the big theme with with that these movies have in common. That you're kind of walking around in a ghost town by yourself, and the boogeyman's gonna come get you. However, however, let me let me say that th th that's that's basically where the similarities end for me. The rest of this movie is its own animal. Uh, the opening credits are awesome <laughs> i mean i could watch those over and over again i mean did stranger did stranger things like you know use that as a template for their opening credits and which are now you know famous yeah i'm just wondering i'm just wondering but the, but the the whole idea that i mean you know let's let's get into it the whole the, like that jackal that computerized jack-o-lantern which looks like an atari video game is is it's painting painting itself quote unquote in front of our eyes to each chord of music that we're hearing so it's it's synced together the music and the visuals are synced together and it creates an aesthetic that you just you, you know sucks you in it sucks you into an opening sequence that is very gripping because we have this man running for his life in the middle of a town, a deserted town, uh, you know, in the middle of the night. And it just gets, you know, in my opinion, it just gets better and better from there on. I think, I think the setup is really, really good, starting from the opening credits. Um, yeah, I, I, I can actually agree with you there, Andrew. I actually, um, uh, even, even before the, uh, the running sequence, I mean, that little, uh, Dun, 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 you know, you know, it's just, uh, the beat, but it has like that VHS look, you know, um, 
uh, like it kind of brought me back to like you know the VCR days uh, when they yep. that little that little look. It reminds me of the old you know the big box TVs because when you go up to it close, you see the little uh, um, uh, what do you call them the, the little pixels. Yes. Yeah, I, I actually, I, I, and you know, this the magic is all done by, you know, the vision, I gotta say, John Carpenter, he, I don't think, in a lot of movies, you know, with a lot of running sequences, I, I can't lie, like, something about the way he does the, his running sequences with, with his music, it kind of gets your heart going, like, oh, shit, this is intense, like, what's happening, what's going on, like, the very first scene, you just moping when he's running, it's like, well, you don't, like, you know, he leaves you with, like, completely like what what the fuck is going on with someone chasing him like like you know immediately you just like exactly you know it's just it's just just the unknown that's what i really like exactly intro we're introduced to uh, a guy basically running for his life and we slowly realize why he eventually ends up in the hospital under the care of dr chalice who discovers we also have deborah hill as a producer and we also have and you don't know who else we have as a producer on this we have dino de laurentis again we just talked about him with dune he's got his mitts in this as well so we've got all these different cooks in a, they were actually physically on set uh because this seems like something that was done um uh, without them physically being around from my understanding johnny carpenter he he in a lot of ways likes to get his hands on uh, like he likes he likes to work in different he's kind of like a control from what I what I've heard of it, he's, he's a bit a little bit of a control freak in some of his uh, movies. Uh, I believe like not just the vision but you know, you know, he, like because he composes his own music. Um, yeah, I believe I believe the whole you know, it was this was really uh, he was really in there, uh, working with a lot of a lot of people. But I haven't seen any like actual footage like as far as behind the scenes or stills or anything yeah, right I, this movie i don't know I, i've looked i tried looking up a few things i haven't really uh caught too much on it you know i've seen a few uh, uh i believe it was like a blooper or something um, okay yeah nothing nothing like which that. which just furthers the enigma for me at least with this movie because i at several points i was thinking to myself this must have been a blast to film can oh, you imagine it's the 80s and you're in Northern California and you're filming, you know, a sequel to Halloween. I think it must have been a lot of fun. I'm hoping that it was a lot of fun for everybody involved. So I did watch uh, some, some interviews with the director and the cast and they did. They had a blast. The majority of this movie was filmed in Lolita, California, which... They said they didn't have to do much sprucing up as far as the uh, the small town vibe goes. A small town that they found to use as the uh, the substitute for the uh, the town in the movie. And it sounded like everybody had a real blast while shooting it. Uh, Tommy Lee Wallace said that it was, uh, you know, it was a dream come true to finally direct a movie. Dean Cundy had nothing but nice things to say about Tommy Lee Wallace as a director, as did the cast. They had nothing but praise for Tommy Lee Wallace as a director. But as far as the executive producers of Dino De Laurentiis and the Akkad family, they're not, their involvement was not being on set day to day. They were much more interested in the financial aspect of the movie, the distribution and whatnot. The actual producers, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, 
don't really talk about this movie all that much, so I'm not sure exactly how much hands-on involvement they had while the movie was being filmed. They kind of basically left it in the hands of Tommy Lee Wallace, from what from what I've gathered through uh, research. That's, that's what it feels like. That's what it feels like. Yeah. And then, uh, so I think their involvement was a lot of the pre-production with the script and then the post-production, obviously doing the music, everything. And talking about the music, it's it's a very typical Carpenter score, which he's very good at matching his visuals with music. But while talking about the music, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the Silver Shamrock jingle that is hammered into your heads throughout this movie. Uh, isn't, it, isn't it played around 14 times? I think that's what I read. When you're done watching the movie. It, yeah. It's um, basically London Bridge is falling down with creepy singing done. Uh, the, the effect that they used to create the vocal of um, the Countdown to Halloween and the Silver Shamrock song was done Actually, the voice was done by Tommy Lee Wallace. The music was done by Alan Haworth. And they had uh, Wallace basically sing in a very slow, drawn-out manner and then sped it up like the chipmunks. That's freaky. Yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. It worked out. Like, I like the sound. I mean, yeah, like you said, Creed, you definitely... <laughs> Like, every time I even hear that, I'm like, oh, shit, don't wear so, the mask. <laughs> Where do I begin? Speaking of masks, and they're just constantly reminding everybody in these ads and on the TVs and on the radios to wear your masks. Yep. And where have we heard that recently? I mean, this, this movie really has a lot of ramifications and feels extremely relevant, mind mind. Pardon, pardon the word, but I mean that's something that kept cropping up. I was just like, okay, we've got we've got this media fueled uh, voice constantly telling us to you know reminding us to wear our masks. I thought that was extremely uh, interesting. Watching it now, right? So yeah, and I can and I can go further and further with this, and I will. But but that's that's just an, that's a. It's a, it's a side note. So it's the masks themselves. Let's see. The one of them is a witch. One of them is a pumpkin, and one of them is a is a what? Skeleton. It's a skull. A skeleton. Okay. So ostensibly, the girls will wear the witch, the boys, and then boys will wear the skeleton, and I guess girls could wear the skeleton too. Either one of them could wear the pumpkin as well. I'm just, I don't know why I'm attaching gender to this. I think it's interesting, though, that one of them is a witch. It's like a female, you know? Yeah. Well, the, you know, another thing, too. Uh, go on, no, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, witchcraft is is heavily involved in this. Once we find out the backstory of uh, Connell Cochran um, talking about Samhain and the history of Halloween, it's, it's a crazy backstory because... In the one of the very opening scenes of the movie, we're also shown a, a news report where part of Stonehenge was stolen, 
and they're talking about how like nobody could possibly steal something that weighs you know a couple hundred tons and somehow it ends up in part of california now and they're using parts of stonehenge um to integrate into these masks it's it's a crazy wild backstory that's just like it's just like loony well sometimes fiction is sometimes truth is crazier than fiction and this this kind of stuff does actually go on do i do i know about stonehenge and like you know what the stones actually do and if they were like confiscated what you could do with them no i don't but if you it's 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 impossible it's actually if Actually, if you know anything about the Illuminati, it's impossible to talk about this movie without mentioning the Illuminati. This is basically it. This is basically it. His character is Cochrane. Cochrane is is the warlock who is basically, I guess, ostensibly the witch in the season of the witch title. I think we discussed this very briefly. Like he would, he would be the witch. But the thing is, the thing is, there's you don't. From my understanding, and I could go ask my roommate about this, but I'm not. I'm not going to. From my understanding, like witches are female and warlocks are male. Like a high priest is male and a high priestess is female. So I don't know exactly why why they would call it season of the witch and then have a warlock be central um, instead of having some sort of play on the warlock terms. Word. Uh, but Cochrane himself would represent basically the elite occult. I'm just going to say it. Those who are in charge, the elite, um, are very much entrenched in the occult. And you've got it right there with Cochrane. Anything that he's trying to like set out uh, in, in, in this movie is basically a template for what the Illuminati like to do. They say that war is actually sacrifice of young men. So, I mean, if you start thinking about, you know, sacrificial killings and how war could play into that, then you're on to something that would give you a deeper understanding of Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. I almost wonder... I'm not even getting into trafficking yet. Okay, that uh, that's something that I didn't even think would come up in this discussion, but um, I almost think that Season of the Witch is is um kind of a play on the the song season of the witch that's the only kind of the only thing i can get at because like you said the title doesn't really represent the kind of movie that you're given you know yes there are witch masks yes there is witchcraft but yes our main villain is a would be a, a warlock and also there's a lot of aspects of invasion of the body snatchers we've got robots impersonating people they're so convincing that they actually one of them sneezes at one point and i mean if you're going to the uh the extreme that you're making sure that your 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 robots here are able to sneeze i mean what kind of what kind of plan are you trying to execute you're trying to eliminate a large portion of the population and replace them with with robots you know there's a lot going on here it's pretty crazy that starts going into cloning and we have a lot of we have a lot of shows that uh talk about cloning now including westworld on hbo which is you know once again a remake of something from the 70s but cloning is is a big 
big thing. I mean, this is this. I mean, the Nazis were into cloning, and they were heavy into the occult as well. The Nazis technology. So here we've got the bridging of that gap going on between technology and the occult, where we're actually going to clone. We're going to you know do things where we start basically playing God. Uh, and yeah. I'm just making sure you guys can hear my mic, okay? Right? Yeah, go ahead. Say something. Okay, okay. Talk. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was gonna add a little bit more to the whole robot thing. I, I've never seen. I mean, they, he must. They must have been like beefed up or something, because the amount of like ridiculous kills in this movie is is pretty insane. I mean, um, like I believe it was during the beginning. Um, yeah, the the hospital bed scene. I mean. I believe I don't. I don't I, that's that's the one kill in the movie I never understood when they like pinched like the tip of the nose, and I guess it kind of like stretched out the skin. I don't know if it like went through the brain. I, I. They said his face is mangled and they said um that his skull was was crushed so basically i think basically what killed the guy was you know pieces splinters of his skull going into his brain and you know just you know killing him um but also maybe the fingers going through the eye sockets into the brain and like just pushing up the brain like a bowl of jello but how powerful they were so the fact that they can rip off a person's head uh, yeah well yeah you know that that was yeah the fact that they could do all that is well they're robots yeah they're gonna have you know the only reason to create a robot is to make it stronger than an actual human would be i mean have you have you guys seen the footage lately and i mean this is very recent of of cops i don't think it's in america it's in different countries but they're testing out these Robots uh, helping out cops on the street. Uh, I just, I just within the past week been seeing footage of this. Boston Dynamics, right? Uh, maybe. Yeah, they, they show like the dog robot going around. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's dog robots. That's that one's actually available to the public. You can actually buy that one. Oh, great. <laughs> just what the world needs. We're, we have a scene where Tom Atkins is wandering around the Silver Shamrocks warehouse and he comes across a robot that appears to be a, uh, an old woman knitting and uh, he shakes it and her head falls off but the the robot design of the old lady reminded me of the Disney World attraction the Hall of Presidents where they have uh, robotic presidents that will like each one will get a little spotlight at some point and roll up and give a speech about how important they are as a president and it's just it's a creepy aesthetic i think the fact that we have this one robot that's quite obviously a, upon you know closer look a robot but all the other robots are basically just guys in business suits and there's no distinguishing feature to you know that would you know say to you that it's not a real person that's one of that's it's it's startling it's startling to look at and actually they take visually they're the ones that are taking the place of mike myers in the movie you are constantly seeing them standing just standing frozen staring 
uh, whether you're behind their shoulder or whether you're looking at them from a distance, full on, from, from the front. So those shots are, those establishing shots in the, in the first Halloween movie with Michael Myers uh, was, was extremely effective. And they're doing it again with all of these robots in this movie. Um, yeah, um, I was gonna say too. Uh, it, it reminded me too a little bit of um, a little bit of uh, other movies like Mahalan Mahalan Drive when the you know the the, the scene where uh, those the guys are staring at um, forget the name. Uh, but you know diff- different movies um, uh, you know that uh, that reminded me of a lot. Especially uh, we're going back to the the mannequin. The uh, it reminded me of Taurus Trap. Uh, there's this movie with mannequins that kind of like laugh in, in a weird way. It's, it's super creepy. It's a super creepy movie, but yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's 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 a striking it's a striking visual, definitely. They, I heard that the director wanted them all to be redheads. Continu- continuing on with that Irish theme, that they were actually extras you know, being used, you know, in, in roles, basically. I mean, they're non-speaking roles, but, you know, they're, they're what they call silent bits in the in the movies. Uh, the, when you see the old woman as a robot, like, of course, that's giving you some sort of an understanding of how long, once again, how long they've been at it, how long they've been kind of trying to do this. And, the you know, the woman is put together with, well, they're all put together with, with wheels and bolts and, and whatnot, but the old woman sitting in the chair knitting, you can tell that there's kind of a Victorian aspect to her. Uh, and, kind of, and then when she falls apart, you know, you, you know, once again, I think to myself, oh, it's kind of like steampunk. Right. It's the stuff that, you know, it's the stuff that they were doing back during an era when technology actually was, was, was bursting. She was like a pro. She's she was like a prototype of what was to become as they, um, right. as they uh, grew their um, understanding and you know grew their technology. She was like like the base prototype almost. Yeah. So this this it does remind me of a movie starring Ryan Quantin from True Blood. Um, I can't remember the name of this movie, but it's got a marionette. I think on the movie poster, it came out in the earliest two thousands, maybe two thousand ten or something. Oh, well, you'll just have to edit that out because I can't remember the name. Okay, of the movie. all right. It's not, it's not, yeah, it's not. Um, I'm trying to think of it too. I think I, I I know what you're talking. I just can't think of the title. Um, because he goes around in the movie and he and when he finally gets to the house where whatever is going on is going on he finds out that like most of the main characters have been robots and they're not not just robots they've been puppets they've been actually mechanical little puppets dead silence that's it i think that's it dead silence yeah yeah james Wan. james Wan. that's right yeah it's i thought it's quantum k w a n t e n yeah, he finds out his dad has been dead the entire time, and his stepmother has been uh, using him as a marionette. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Doctor Chalice, man, this guy has a lot of balls. I mean, towards the end of the movie, too. Oh, uh, that the 
before I forget, I mean, I, I'm surprised he went back and, like, you know, risked his life going to, like, you know, mess with the computer controls and stuff. Like, <laughs> it just shows, like, how much, like, you know, dedicated he was to, um, you know, stopping this madness. He, that, that actor is a really good leading man. Um, I, I love that, like, his complexion wasn't perfect. He's... Yeah. He's like a, to- you know, he's a man, man. He's like a Mar, you know, you, you would see him on the billboards for the Marlboro ads during that time. Uh, he he does it really well. He's a good hero. He's a good, um, um, you know, anti-hero because he's he's not that good of a dad. He drinks a lot, uh, you know. So it's debatable how good of a doctor he is if he's constantly drinking. The actor playing him is almost too likable for a role like that. But yeah, the way that he just basically kicks butt, especially towards the end of the movie. The end, should we talk about the end of the movie? Well, before we talk about the end of the movie, we, we need to address the, something that I did not like in this movie, and that is the straight-out-of-a-soap-opera romance between the, the Doctor and uh, Ellie. I, th- a soap-opera? It's straight out of a, a soap opera. He's like, well, I could sleep uh, in the car. It would be better than the floor. And then she just turns to him. And she's like, where do you want to sleep, doctor? It's it's like it's like cheap porno. It's like a, the it, it's like a por, It's like the kind of dialogue you would have in a porn movie. And, 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 her, her dad, her dad just died. I mean, I'm all for you know. I get it. It's like even when somebody dies, like sometimes you just want want to go off and distract yourself, um, you know. But I mean, she's and she didn't seem to be that close to her dad. But I mean, she's really she starts firing that flame. Uh, you, you know, once they're in the hotel room, as soon as they're in the hotel room, she starts. She 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 gets out of the shower and puts a sheet around her, a blanket, and then waits for him. Which oh, I I think that way. One of the things that some people have brought up is, was she a robot the whole time? Because, because obviously she's a robot at the end, and there there is a a part where she's captured, and it's you know that could be said. Okay, that's when she became a, a robot. But if you look back on some like the way that she behaved, I mean, you're making yeah. I I don't think so personally. I mean, it, it, I have to talk about the end of the movie if we're going to talk about that, though. Sure, let's talk about the end of the movie. Because the, the the end of this movie is batshit crazy. So yeah, and it basically goes. So basically, this movie is. I find it very sane. I find it very making it, that it makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's it's surprising to me how well thought out it is and how much I can kind of relax into it and not have to keep suspending my disbelief all the time uh, I love that it winds down into real time I love that it's stylized but it's also very kind of just you know a slice of life as well when you know all of the all of this within that town the thing okay so when he when he does decide that he's going to do something about uh, and it does seem like a last minute thought that he's going to do something about this huge master plan. And he takes those chips 
that are in the back of the mask with the pieces of the Stonehenge in them. And he goes, they both go up to the rafters and he dumps them on all the robots. I mean, this is what I'm thinking to myself. Okay, could, could, this could have been thought out a little bit more because what's going on? Like, does he know that once he empties this box onto this, of these chips onto these robots that they're all going to malfunction and spark? There's no way he could have known that. Right, right. You know, so that's, it's, it's one of the few or only huge glaring pot, uh, plot holes, in my opinion. But after that point, the movie goes nuts. The movie really starts going in a crazy, crazy uh, speed and a crazy, crazy direction. Right. It, that, uh, yeah, I'll hand it off to you guys. Like, Stonehenge, like, becomes sentient and gets, like, pissed off and, like, just vaporizes Connell Cochran. Does he get vaporized or does he get, like, sent to the astral plane where he becomes, you know, a, a higher consciousness entity? I mean, what? Well, really know. you have no idea. And, and what... Another thing that you said, if she was a robot, well, obviously she was at that point a robot. That whole thing where he throws all the the pieces of uh, chips away with the Stonehenge in it, that should have short-circuited her as well because it stopped all the other robots. Yeah, good point. Well, here's the thing. If she wasn't a robot until the end, that means they made a robot out of her in, what, hours? A few hours, basically. Right? I don't know how long she's been in that room. Maybe more than a few hours. Twelve hours at the most. But they 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 robot they made a robot of her or they cloned her or whatever. I mean, it's not really a clone, it's a robot. They wrote they found you know, they made her likeness within that time, that would mean. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah, you know. Which is implausible. I mean, you know, I I don't think they they could have done that and made it look so convincingly like her. I it wasn't on the time frame. That, yeah. It yeah it doesn't really add up. But th- so the pacing of this movie it's 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 a it's paced well, but creates suspense. It creates tension. It creates fear. It creates anxiety. It creates paranoia. But the last act of this movie. All of a sudden, it's like somebody slammed down on the uh, pedal there, and they just, you know... Accelerator. Yeah, they just... It, it just goes completely, you know, crazy. Special effects... Yeah, the special effects kick in. Uh, when, they, when they're leaving the factory, it's in flames. Uh, there's this huge fire going up, and that's a... I don't know how they did that, but that was that, that was special effects. Exactly, yeah. The whole thing, though, you still get the sense of like paranoia. Like, is it really over? You know, like, uh, like I'm sure that even you know the doctor's gonna be still thinking like, you know, as well. Even though that he stopped this, you know, who knows? Who knows? Like, like. Well, all right. Do you guys know? Do you guys know the alternate ending to this? I mean, one of the alternate ending endings to this. You do? No, I, I haven't. I haven't. Chris, do you? I mean, there was on IMDb. I read it in the spoilers. I I do, but please refresh my memory because I'm drawing a blank right now. So, 
it's Chalice, right? Dr. Chalice, our main protagonist. Yes. Chalice fails in the end. And what you hear, what you hear during the end credits is our children being murdered all over the world. Yeah. I kind of like that. That sounds more dark, though. Well, this this gets into trafficking. This 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 is this is part of like the whole thing about human trafficking that people don't want to talk about. Is so the, is the is the you know not only the torture but the but the death that goes on. I and I I was Kyle. I we talked about something. Uh, recently where I told you I had a vision and it was similar to this and he actually, Cochran actually talks about um, this in his monologue that monologue that he gives which isn't very long you know, that's the, that sums up that sums up a lot of stuff right there, I mean he was talking about the real, they took this movie Deborah Hill, I don't know who had the idea, it, it was Deborah Hill's idea to marry like witchcraft and, and um, technology but but something else is going on, and and the idea that it's almost like a great reveal, like let's let's show what the powerful occult um, are interested in, and I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop right there. That's plenty of information. Yeah. Told <laughs> <laughs> me some stuff that. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I didn't even know about that. That's. Wow. The, when I when I read that in the tra- in the in the spoilers for IMDb, I and I did all that research after watching the movie this morning. I had to put every I had to put down my my tablet and take a break. <laughs> so, uh, uh, I, uh, I actually really liked though was the uh, the phone conversation scene when um uh, you know he's he's really trying to explain to his wife. I mean um yeah like what what's going on. And, um, you know, she just doesn't believe him. She just doesn't believe him. And, uh, She's had enough. All she, does is yell, all she does is yell at him on that phone. She, she yells at him, and it's just like, it's like, oh, my God, this is like your one chance to, like. Save let, your kids. Yeah, it, it, save the kids, and it's like, it's like, Jesus, like. Yeah, but it's the boy who cried wolf. She, You can tell just by their interactions that she's been putting up with his shit for years. So I think to caricature though, I mean, it's, it's, it's really funny to listen to her on the other end. It's almost like, um, it's almost like those, who's the, is it, who's the guy who did, um, Black Christmas and Christmas Story? Bob Clark. That phone, Bob Clark. It's like, and I think he did the voice for those phone calls, but it's almost like listening to him. It's just like, yeah, yeah, coming back at you. So I could see what I could see why producers would have shot down that alternate ending, but I think the ending that we get is still, you know, it's ambiguous because, you know, he gets two of the three channels to to turn off the commercial, but he's screaming into the, you know, enough, take it off, you know, take it off now, like, and we don't know if that third channel, you know, ever took off the commercial, so we're left. It's an ambiguous ending, and uh, Carpet. I was just gonna say that that's similar to the ambiguous ending that we're left with the the the, the first Halloween, you know, with the 
you know, Dr. Loomis looking over the balcony and Michael Myers' body is gone. He's, he's disappeared. But, but that ending that I described during the, uh, the alternate ending that I described during the final credits is in the novelization of Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. Now, the novelization of, of Halloween 3 seems to be the reason why, when I go on IMDb and look this up, the year that is slapped onto it is 1982 instead of 1984. This movie's weird, man. Um, this movie came out in 1984. I remember when it came out. It came out in 1982. It did not come out in 1982. It didn't. I don't know what's up with this. It doesn't look like it was filmed in 1981 or 1982. And when I looked at where it supposedly came out in 1982, it's like, hold on, let me go on IMDb right now. Because it's like, it's like in, it's like in Russia or something. It's weird, my mic is like not even, like, sometimes I talk and it's like not even recognized when it's weird. No, but this I'll just say IMDb. Some, sometimes they mix it up with uh, the timelines. Like that's why, like online, you know, there's different. Like, yeah, you just gotta look up like the director and um, the time for look. Sometimes it gets mixed, mix match. I have never, I have never encountered IMDb wrong with the year that a movie's been released. But this is this is very bizarre be- because I remember 1984. And I remember this movie being released. Uh, and so, here we go. Release date, 1982. 1982, it says... Oh, it does... Holy shit. I told you. It says it was released in Turkey. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. So... I have, going on? I have numerous sources stating that it was released on October 22nd, 1982. It's not right. I'm telling you. <laughs> Something's up. It might be the man... <laughs> you might be experiencing the Mandela effect. I don't believe in the Mandela effect. Shut up. <laughs> Halloween 2 was in 1981 and uh, and it says Halloween 3 is 1982 which would be only one year later um, maybe maybe it was pushed back, back after maybe some type of post thing I don't know could be something as simple as I'm gonna keep Talking. I'm gonna see if I can get to the bottom of this. Another scene too, um, actually, I, I, from my farthest memory of seeing anything to do with masks being made, uh, this was actually the one movie that I, I actually got my first eyes on, seeing how masks are made, like from the molds and everything. Yeah, I have to say that. Um, so they, the uh, exterior shots for the Silver Shamrock Novelties Factory was a Familiar Foods milk bottling plant in Lolita, California. But they did shoot on some sound stages and they did dress up parts of the factory. But, yeah, we're given, 
you know, we're given a tour, you know, as the movie, you know, walks us through the, the process of creating the masks and the history of this this company that's been around for for decades. But it's uh, also interesting. I, I think a lot of the satire, um, you know, kind of went over people's heads about um, consumerism, you know, with popular holidays and also uh, big business kind of pushing out the smaller independent businesses. We have one one character that talks about how Cochrane brought in all these outsiders to work at the toy factory and he wouldn't hire any locals. Some commentary here on, you know, social economic devices that are going on in the 80s. Oh, again, oh, once again, where's that coming from? It's all coming from Cochrane. It's coming from up at the top of the pyramid. It's a trickle-down effect. And yeah, that guy who used to be a local, is a local of the town, is now living in a shanty in a junkyard. Exactly, yeah. So let's talk about some of the... Um, so initially, this, this movie was produced on a budget of $2.5 million, and it did gross at the theaters $14.4 million, but it was the lowest grossing of the three Halloween movies. Upon initial release, was not critically well-received, and the audience obviously wanted Michael Myers. That It's not the fault of the film itself, it's the fault of... The promotions department, you know, how do you promote a movie like this? Because it's in the Halloween series, but in this particular movie, the movie Halloween exists. So it's a fictional movie within this movie. The idea of an anthology series is great, but I, but choosing the third entry in your your series to suddenly decide to be an anthology series, it seems like a very... It, it just seems like a mistake. That's, you know, I think that if they dropped the three and it was just Halloween season of the witch, I think the audience would have embraced it sooner because now it's a cult classic. I think, you know, the title is just, the title is what kind of doomed it. It's a double-edged sword because it probably wouldn't have gotten the attention that it initially got just being season of the witch but not including michael myers your your titular slasher villain you know not liking the movie just because michael myers isn't in it is just a very lame opinion i guess have you any kyle have you come across as people just immediately dismiss this movie because it doesn't have michael myers in it actually uh, uh quite a few of my friends my, my buddy uh Jarella. He, he automatically, like, he still, to this day, he gets confused between the Michael Myers movie because of this movie. Um, yeah, it, 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 um, it, I'm sure a lot of, well, for, well, now actually a lot of my friends um, really, <laughs> really dislike this movie because of that. But I, I still, you know, I look at this as a standalone movie, and um, I, I kind of wish they changed the title to something like somebody's watching, like, that was a John Carpenter movie that was made, um, it was like one of his oldest movies that I remember, uh, but, yeah, I feel like that would have been a perfect title for, for this movie, like, some, someone's watching, or, or something trick-or-treat, something, you know, um, I mean, he could have, he had so many options, I, I still wonder, I haven't looked into it, but I, 
like the main reason for that why like i wonder why that was the title nobody really talks about the the title i have a good title for it it should have been called trick or treat or die yeah that would have been good yeah but i i coming back to the argument that you know immediately dismissing it just because michael myers isn't in it i mean do people forget that Jason Voorhees is not the killer in the first Friday the 13th movie. He has about as much screen time in the first Friday the 13th movie that Michael Myers has in this movie. Talking about the original Friday the 13th? Yes. You know, I mean, if you're going to use the argument, I, I don't like this movie because Michael Myers isn't in it, then your argument should be, you know, could be used against you to describe Friday the 13th the, the first one or Friday the 13th part 5 where it's not Jason Voorhees is the killer it's a pissed off ambulance driver you know it's kind of it's a weak argument and I think that if people just gave the movie a chance and kind of put aside the fact that it doesn't have Michael Myers in it I think that yeah, it, 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 no, it, was, it was a hype thing that's the thing that, like when you know, the thing is, the thing is, right, right, Halloween 1978 was, you know, it, it was a phenomenon for its time. And I think people, genre at that time, more than, like, anything. So then after Halloween 2, it was, like, the perfect roller coaster, and then it just, like, boom, no more Michael. And, you know, um, going back to my friend uh, Jarrell, I mean, he... He was he'd be like, well, where, where the hell is Michael, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, I remember growing up, he would say that, like, yeah, man, I don't know. I, I mean, I was just their choice for the movie, but it's still, um, but like I said, when I was little, I didn't like it, but, you know, as I got older, I understood it more, and I really like this little story that they got going on with it. It's, it's an interesting story, so, but, yeah, I don't think people, um, it, it's kind of hard to get people who are, um, so heavily invested in a character like that, Michael Myers, to, to want them to switch over. Um, like, you know what I mean? Like, like no one, nobody um, who watches that movie automatically, automatically they're thinking to watch, uh, they're thinking they're watching a Michael Myers. Movie. Like, like, I've been at fault probably like seven times at Hollywood Video buying that movie, <laughs> thinking I'm, I'm getting myself on VHS a, a Michael Myers movie. Um, but and it's weird because you know on the cover it's like a devil and like three I believe it's a witch and like the uh, a, a few trick or treaters or something. It's a silhouette of trick or treaters, and I think that's one of the the best scenes in the movie. Is we're given a brief montage of of trick or treaters all throughout the country, most of which are sporting these uh, silver shamrock uh, masks. But that's one of the, I I just love that little montage. It's a great little um, addition to the movie. Halloween, like it makes it makes it it feels it feels like a real like um, I, I, it just brings me back brings me back to like I mean I wasn't around for any of like the eighties or seventies I, I I wasn't born but you know I could definitely feel like a, um, nostalgia. A classic, yeah, nostalgic classic Halloween. It's a great Halloween season movie, but I can see why it's not a people don't consider it a great Halloween 
franchise movie. Andrew, any luck on the release date? No, I'm I'm completely, completely baffled because I remember in sophomore year of high school sitting was it sophomore or freshman freshman sorry freshman but I remember my my the guy in the desk next to me singing that three more days till Halloween like singing that so maybe maybe I'm highly confused but I don't remember I remember Halloween 3 entering my consciousness like around 1984 and I'm looking here and there were no other Halloween movies that came out in 1984 no I don't know what's going on no. Weird. But anyway, let's. Can we talk a minute about how the movie, when the movie does become, because there was, there was, there was contention on the part of the original writer. What's his last name? Is it Keen? Neil. Neil. I'm sorry, Neil. That it became too violent. It's it's interesting when this movie becomes actually a slasher movie, which doesn't actually happen very often. But when there is killing done, the murders are horrible and grotesque and very kind of like templates of their own, kind of showcases of their own. Uh, when, even when she becomes a robot at the end and starts malfunctioning, like we have a whole sequence with him, um, with with her different body parts attacking him that are disconnected. It becomes comical. That does become comical, but that all the other murders are really they're they're jarring because what you are watching up until that point is um kind of a little little mystery you know a little mystery that's going on i thought i thought about psycho because it's her it's janet lee's sister who comes searching for her with her with janet lee's boyfriend i think um in the movie and so it's similar here. You've got the daughter coming to uh, Northern California looking for her father. Um, and you're caught up in that. Like, you you know, it's kind of like, what are they going to discover next? And what's happening here? And what's going on in this town? And then you see the murders. And the murders are, are pretty much, um, you know, like, like slasher gore. Right. It's almost like an extended episode of the Twilight Zone in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, with with a slasher movie thrown in for different parts. I mean, really, really oh. gross stuff. Like, I wonder how much John Carpenter had to do with that. What were you gonna say, Kyle? You no, know, you know, it, um, it actually reminded me of um, I don't know if you guys uh, Tales from the Dark Side. Sure. Yeah, Tales was... from the Dark Side. Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, uh, yeah all of the. There's this one episode that I remember very vividly. Uh, there's two. There's one called uh, Trick or Treat. It's about this greedy um, debt collector guy. He's a he's like an 80 year old hag, right? And uh, he he basically has collected uh, other families' IOUs, and he stores it in this house, this haunted house. And he has their kids show up to the house on Halloween to try to find it, but most of them don't find it because he ends up scaring them. You know, the whole point is he. You know, and then, but towards the end of the episode, there's, uh, the, the monsters that he created in the house come to life and basically kill him. Okay. But, um, yeah, it reminded me of that, like, if, uh, it, it was directed by George Romero, um, that episode. And, the, yeah. and this, and 
Halloween 3 reminded you of that? Yeah, very much. If you look at the atmosphere, you know, it's, a, it's an old school um, episode. I believe it was season one, episode two, something like that. But it had a very uh, similar feel in terms of the uh, atmosphere, the lighting, the bluish colors, and um, yeah, very Halloweenish. And then the other episode was uh, a, another one about a just a cranky old man who uh, wouldn't give, he didn't want to give candy to trick or treaters, and he's visited by this troll type of creature, um, and he kind of like puts bugs inside of uh, of the house and. You know, time stops. It, it, it's it's pretty crazy. The different um different ones, but that one, the trick or treat one, reminded me of this movie uh, a whole lot. Interesting. Yeah. What else? There's there's a lot. There's a lot going on with this flick. Uh, yeah, it's the once you dissect it, there you know there's. A lot psychologically going on. There's social commentary. There's uh, conspiracies. There's the Illuminati. There's witchcraft. There's Stonehenge. It's invasion of the body snatchers. It's it's a it's a crazy crazy movie. But it's a lot of fun. I was I heard. Yeah. Go ahead. Was, um, as far as the witchcraft goes, uh, uh, I wonder what like like you know there's a demon on the cover like some type of devil. Um, I wonder what that, um, I don't know if that's just there, but, uh, you know, I wonder, I'm assuming that relates to the whole occult thing. I mean, yeah, if you want to, if you want to tie in, yeah, if you want to tie in, like, sacrifice, witchcraft, and, and, and Satan, I mean, yeah, you can, you can pretty much, you can pretty much do that with, uh, with the elite occult. Well, I just want to—I just want to clarify that it's not a demon on the poster art; it's a jack o' lantern. No, 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 no. There's a devil. There's a devil on the. There, I—I I know what he's talking about. There is. It's like a—it's a freaking devil face. It's a reddish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just remember I re- I just remember the jack o' lantern in the silhouette of trick or treaters. I'm I'm not you know. Oh, that's glowing. Above it, there's like a reddish face above the trick or treaters. Like look up the VHS. Um. Uh, yeah, look up the VHS. Uh, no, I believe you. I I I just I I don't remember that, but you know that's just misleading. It's, it's, <laughs> it's up in the, yeah, it's up in the sky and I'm looking at it right now actually. It's up in the sky and it's in red and it's it's a freaking demon. <laughs> There's just so many so many different things going on. Well, I know the promotion for this was a mess. Tommy Lee Wallace talks about how the promotion department, he had no control over the promotions, the advertising, that kind of stuff. So yeah, I I mean the advertising for this is all over the place as far as artwork goes, and I think that's kind of what what led to this movie being misunderstood and not appreciated at the time that it was released. Curious to know what your thoughts on the the whole bug thing though. Like, like did you actually find that to be kind of dumb? The whole fact that their you know their their brain, even though their brains are fried, you know the bugs come out. Or, I mean, it, it looks cool visually, but. Like as far as making any sense, did you did you have any? Because I have a few friends who actually 
liked the movie, but only didn't like that, like the fact that they fucked up. It doesn't make any. It really doesn't make any sense that all of a sudden that your your head becomes crickets, snakes, and beetles. I mean, that's just. I mean, it look like you said, it looks very cool visually. I I think that just like having your head melt is that's that's bad enough. I I don't know where all the bugs and s snakes are coming from. That's just kind of like. It, it, it's it's metaphor. It's metaphoric. It's metaphoric of the ancient meeting to modern technology. Okay. That's it's you know metaphorically speaking, that's pretty much what it is. Yeah. I'll buy that. You've got Stonehenge, yeah, you've got Stonehenge, you've got all of that United Kingdom, you know, pagan, Wiccan stuff going on. You think of, you know, like bugs and snakes and whatnot, or, or I mean, I guess you think of that, and then marrying that into all of this laser beam high-tech uh, technology. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense now. But yeah, if you just see it, like, it's just very random. You kind of, you finally see what, the master plan is and i was like okay so this kid's head turned into like a bunch of bugs and snakes and then the parents kind of died of fright i'm not really sure what killed those pa that kid's parents mom, uh, the mom passed out one of them at least uh, well those those snakes are poisonous right one of them bites the the dad and it's just going to be a matter of time before one of them bites the mom i mean one of the snakes does bite the dad. I do remember that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Remember that scene, too. That, yeah. So, let's, um... Oh, I was just gonna say we should start wrapping it up, but it, whatever you're gonna bring up, let's let's talk about it now. Fine. My final thoughts, I really... Uh, and this, this movie did a lot for me. It, I, I, don't know what to, I don't know what to say. Like, it, it gave me a lot of information. Um, it kind of made me look at certain uh, things just in the in the world and my life and myself I mean I know this is crazy to say this about Halloween 3 but it, it, it did that like as I watched I guess for an hour and 40 minutes um, I was very much involved with with it as a movie and then the 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 ripple effects that it gave me um, were big so I got a lot out of this movie. I really, really did. Um, and I don't, I don't, I, it's almost like, it's almost like it was made to never be repeated. Like the, there really hasn't been another movie. There are, there's, there are other movies that, that blend like um, the occult with technology and that use portals. I mean, basically the, the, the Stonehenge rock is a portal that they're using uh so it's not you know it's not like there aren't other movies like that but i mean i've never seen a movie like halloween 3 i really haven't no that's uh, it no uh, i yeah i have to agree with um andrew there as far as um you know you know i, I definitely think this movie is a standalone thing i loved everything as far as the uh uh cinematography i like the the lighting you know john carpenter's always always doing a great job with that um visually uh the acting was very good I, I i mean i didn't really see any uh piss poor performances um you know this uh and this movie really made it i mean uh john uh john atkins right is it john or tom 
Tom. Or Tom Atkins. Tom Atkins. Yep. Atkins. I believe. I mean, well, no. From what I've seen, I, I thought he did a really, really good job throughout the movie. Um, you know, I, I like the twists. I like the whole um, going back to the snake thing. I, I thought that was a, a great uh, visually looking uh, scene. So, I mean, there's so, so many little things about this movie I really like, and I always go back to and. For some reason, every time I see it, because I only, this is a movie, a Halloween movie I see every, I'll say I see it every, maybe two times out of the October season. But, um, yeah, I don't, it, it's almost like a traditional thing. I go back and forth every now and then to it. Uh, so you, you do like this movie. You watch it, you, you watch it over again. You, you, you will watch it over and over again. Twice throughout the year around Halloween. Wow. The, wow. This, yeah, this one, um. The thing I watch actually seasonal. I, I like that's probably, it. and then a Halloween. Um, I watch that. I would say a good amount, maybe like five or six times over a year. But um, okay, yeah, uh, this movie, yeah, specifically, uh, I always go back to Halloween time. I, um, it feels new for some reason. Every time I watch it, it, it feels like a a fresh movie. Um, I yeah. feel that way when I see it. It really. It, I want to mention really quickly also, Joe Dante was slated to direct this movie. We just covered The Howling and talked about Joe Dante. I did not like The Howling. I don't know if I like Joe Dante that much uh, as a director. And I'm glad he didn't do Halloween 3. I liked the pacing and the lack of heavy stylization in Halloween 3. Yeah, I... I think that would have been a bad decision I mean, it would have been, it would have been totally different, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, who knows? Maybe I can't really say it would have been bad. I wouldn't. I guess. But I, I mean, I, I don't. I just think John Carpenter is just this fits his style, and this is something that, um, you know, I think. Well, Carpenter would have still been producing. It just would have, you know, it would have had a different uh, director at the helm. Yeah. Well, the vision, the, the vision was. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it seems like Joe. Just based on the howling, it seems like Joe Dante is heavy on vision. Uh, in this, in this movie, Chris, tell me the name of the director again. Tommy Lee Wallace. Tommy Lee Wallace, and I did look him up. Uh, so, the I like that he. It seems like that they weren't weren't have, were not heavy on the storyboarding. Um, a lot of it kind of came organically. You know, as they were as they were putting it together in, in production. Yeah, he worked. His previous experience was as a production designer and as an editor. So, I'm not. So he was watching. He was watching Carpenter in Halloween One do his stuff. Exactly. Yep. Okay. And he was uh yeah he was one of Carpenter's proteges. So, this is easily one of the most rewatchable of the Halloween movies just because it is its own beast. It's something different. It's unique. It's a very atmospheric movie that has a lot of tension and suspense throughout it, but it also delivers on the, uh, the gore that, you know, horror fans like. So I, I think that, um, the big misfire of this movie, well, first thing I think of, I'm like, Oh my God, the guy, the, the, the guy is down on his knees in between the two. Yeah robots and the way his his blood spurts up dot 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 i don't need to say anything more right yeah so i mean there's this is 
it's 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 beyond twisted. I mean, certain moments like that get really, um, uh, really subversive, perverse, you know. And 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 I, from my understanding, I believe I've seen edits of the movie that took out a lot of that stuff, the gore. There is a cut of it. There is a cut of the movie that I think is like two and a half minutes shorter, that uh, that that truncates a lot of those murders where you don't see the actual graphic like when and then outside of um, that little lake house in the movie um, that whole scene when they're walking towards the house yeah he got that inspiration uh, from Halloween 3 has he said that? Um, he said well I said it's on Reddit okay I didn't know but yeah, no, that was there was a whole article thing on, on a Reddit post that I was reading. I, I, I mean, I wouldn't. I mean, it, it's very similar. So I, I, I believe the, the post. I mean, how creepy is that? Like, if you see just like you know, you see men in black and you think government, yeah. and they're lined up, you know, outside your window at night, and they're all walking towards you. <laughs> I got into an argument with a friend about this just last night. Yeah, uh, no, it's true. It's true. There's already, I mean, stoning and all that, not to get too far off track, but... Right. Definitely, um... The surveillance factor was very palpable in this movie. Um, they've got those cameras on street corners. I mean, the, you know, that's very foretelling. Now we've got surveillance everywhere, you know? Yeah, absolutely. In London, they say in London... They say in London, like during the course of a day, you're you're photographed or you're on camera um, at a crazy a crazy amount of times, you know, a ridiculous amount of times. During that time too, that's when a lot of people were starting to, because um, you know, you know, cameras were were um, still, I believe it was, it was still a big thing. So people were, I think at that time, people were starting to get worried about the fact that you know, cameras and of people looking at us and you know because technology was starting to get on the rise so yeah yeah for that time yeah right right well i mean it's it's an issue even now i mean in my in my opinion now, now it's like everyone's everyone's what yeah yeah i mean i know we're basically carrying around surveillance devices all the time now yeah. uh, so but basically when i see this movie i see this town as a template for you know the world that we're living in now in a lot of ways i mean that's that's honestly how i feel that's what the, t- the town is called is the town called silver shamrock or is that just the name of the company that's the just the, called santa mira yes okay. yes which is mira what does mira mean it's an homage to the town and invasion of the body snatchers okay so apparently they filmed some of the remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers in, in this town as well. Um, yeah, like, and of course, all the nighttime, all the nighttime scenes, seeing people, you know, where there's a curfew, okay, there's a curfew, and then you see these people going around, and they're, you know, they're doing all these, you know, nefarious little things in their trucks. It's like Body Snatchers when they find the people, um, 
taking the delivery of pods from the trucks, you know, and off to their own homes, I guess. That's another one we should cover at some point. Oh, definitely. Anything else that we need to cover with Halloween 3 Season of the Witch? We've we've gone the full broad spectrum here, I think. We've touched on everything from um, surveillance and paranoia, the supernatural, witchcraft. Anyone want to comment on the, um, on the initial backlash that this movie received and how it's been better received in years to come? No, not me. No, it's. I, you know, I, I, I take it. I don't obviously. I don't receive it as part of the Halloween franchise, and I never have. And, and Kyle knows I'm. I'm kind of sick to death of of Michael Myers. So I know Kyle, you don't feel that way. <laughs> but, but I, you know, I have I have decades on you, so I'm I'm allowed to be fed up with Michael Myers. I I understand. I, rem- I remember when I was eight years old and like hearing about Halloween one for the first time. My mother and I were living in uh, Arkansas of all places, and our new roommate had just gone out to see it. And I was curious. I wanted to know because what were they talking about? And it was Halloween. Halloween was my favorite holiday as a child, believe it or not. I was obsessed with witches. Now I have a very different take on it all. But I remember when Halloween one came out and, and my mother and this woman being talking about it, and they said, that that they couldn't talk about it with me, which just heightened my curiosity even more. Yeah, that's the worst thing that you could tell a kid, you know? Yeah, I know, I know. If you, <laughs> if you make it taboo, they're just going to be more and more interested in it. So, yeah, that's the worst thing yeah. you could tell a kid. Yeah, even if we have to wait years to, you know, to, we remember, oh, well, that's not supposed to be something I know about, you know? And, uh, like, like as far as me, like growing up, you know, uh, I, I, I tell Andrew a few stories, you know, my grandmother used to have these uh, VHS tapes, and, you know, I always used to, like, go through all of them, and, and what got my curiosity going was always like, oh, uh, you can't watch this. Whenever someone told me I couldn't watch this or this is not a movie for you, that only made it me go even worse, like extreme. Like, I wanted to see everything. You know, well- I... Yeah. And it was you. And it was your grandmother. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I think of my. I remember my grandmother, and we used to watch. I don't know. We used to watch old black and white movies together. So it's hilarious to me that your grandmother watched all of these slasher flicks and horror movies, and then told you like, no, no, not yet. You can't watch these. It's not your average grandma. Say the least. She, she, you know, she, she grew up around Halloween. You know, she, her, her, her whole thing was. Um, her whole thing was. That was her favorite holiday. You know, she liked the Wolfman. She liked the Mummy. She liked all that growing up or whatever. So, like, it, it was a big deal. It was always a big deal. So she kind of, like, passed it down to me. And, um, you know, she, she didn't show me these movies. You know, like I said, as a kid, I just was crawling around doing her stuff. And I'd pop it in in the other, in the other room, and I'd just start watching them. <laughs> well, we all have our special introduction to horror, you know, that... We discovered these movies one way or another. <laughs> you know, th- this is this is a tangent. You can edit this out, but I I do remember one of the first horror movies that I saw. I was a child. I think I was I think I was in the Middle East actually, uh, with my father. And I remember it doesn't even matter where I was. 
I remember on TV there was this movie where this woman fell through a pit and she landed on this huge pile of rubble down in some deep, deep basement. And she rolls off, and once she rolls off and gets her bearings, this creature comes out of the pile of rubble and starts, you know, walking towards her. I was petrified. And my father was asleep on the couch. I remember it was all I could do to lift my hand up and just take hold of my father's arm for some safety and security. I was that petrified. Yeah. And then it's like you get addicted to that. It's like you get into it. It's like, I want to be scared like that again. <laughs> what? I, I, like, I, I, like, I compare it to like a roller coaster effect. Like you go up, you know, knowing you're going to go down, but like then you, once you do it, you're like, holy shit, I want to do that again. It's an adrenaline rush. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yep. So let's let's start wrapping this up. Final thoughts for Halloween three season of the witch. Kyle. Uh, I think everybody who's into Michael Myers who either have missed this one or heard about it that hasn't seen it that never didn't watch it because Michael Myers wasn't in it. I think I think you guys should check it out. If you like John Carpenter, this is some of one of his uh, greatest work in my opinion. I, I go back to this movie every year. I think it's a great Halloween movie especially around this time of the year I say no better time to watch it than now well said I think, yeah I think this I mean I, I love saying this about movies that are fictitious I think it's a documentary <laughs> I think it's quite real I think that monologue that Cochran has um, sums it all up I mean if you really want to get into some Research, just take his monologue and start researching what he says. Uh, there's a lot going on there. So, yeah, this movie is profound to me. Once again, I'm using the word profound for Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. It is profound. It's, um, yeah, it's one of my favorites of the Halloween movies. It's a, it's an annual watch for me around the Halloween season. The history has been kind to this movie recently. Um, initially when it came out, you know, it wasn't well received, but it's finally found its audience and I think people can appreciate it for the great horror movie that it is. And, you know, detach yourself from your Michael Myers obsession. There's like at least a dozen Michael Myers Halloween movies out there. If you haven't checked out this movie for whatever reason, you've listened to us talk about it. Um, it's definitely worth talking, watching. It's a very, very effective horror movie. There's a lot to dissect and talk about afterwards, which is the sign of any great movie. If if it stays with you and it's something that you can rewatch and something that you can recommend and have discussions with people about. And that's what we're all about here at the Cult Film Companion. We're all about recognizing those movies that don't get the recognition that they deserve. And this movie definitely was ahead of the cinematic radar. I think it was ahead of its time. And I think that's why it didn't really get the recognition that um, it deserved until, you know, uh, decades after it was released. Great directorial debut from Tommy Lee Wallace and um, a, a great addition to the Halloween franchise and just a great horror movie all around. John Carpenter's fingerprints are all over this movie and it shows. It's very underrated and 
I can't recommend it enough. You should put it into your Halloween movie rotation. If you have a couple movies that you always revisit around this time of year, this should definitely be one of them. And I'd like to thank our special guest, Kyle, for joining us. And uh, Andrew, my co-host, as always, as we venture through cult movies of all genres and time periods, we get to share our thoughts about them with you. So thank you once again for tuning in. My name is Chris. For Andrew and for Kyle, we bid you all a happy Halloween. And thank you for joining us on the Cult Film Companion Podcast. Good night.